Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Neil Rapley volunteers with Fair Mormon, the Interpreter Foundation, and writes on his own blog called Studio at Quoque Fide, which I remember how to pronounce because he was a previous guest on Articles of Faith and corrected me on that. Uh, he uh, is a student at Utah Valley University working towards a degree in history with a minor in political science. He served a mission for the LDS Church in the Virginia Richmond Mission from August 2006 to August 2008. He joins us today to talk about an article that he wrote on his blog. The entry is titled, Making God in Our Own Image to Cast Aside His Prophets. So welcome again, Neil. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're keeping busy with blogging and and Fair Mormon and all kinds of stuff. One wonders where you get the time to do all that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, it uh, it definitely keeps you busy, and uh, I wonder where I get the time for it sometimes. <laughs> Magic I, out of a hat. Uh, yeah, something somehow you find a way. Yeah. How how often would you say that you put out articles on your own blog? Uh, well, uh, my goal usually is to put out about one a week. Okay. Um, not necessarily exactly one a week, like seven days apart constantly, but but to have about an average of one a week, uh, I've consistently fallen short of that goal every year. I've never <laughs> once had 52 articles uh, in a whole year on my blog. Um, but that's the goal. In some months, I, I'm pretty good about it. Other months, it's just it's busy. There's there's school or whatever else is going on in my life, and I only get one or two out there. But uh, that's that's usually my goal. This this month, I've been about at that pace. So what what would you kind of classify your blog as being? Is it kind of a, just a defense of the faith, or does it incorporate other things? Uh, principally, defense of the faith. Uh, I I think the subtitle of it is something along the lines of uh, commentary or, or uh, a blog about LDS apologetic scholarship and commentary, or something something schnazzy like that. Uh, so talking about the talkers, talking about the talkers, <laughs> talking about uh, you know. Uh, the things that are going on in the bloggernacle, as as people yeah. like to call it, I'm kind of on the fringe though. There, and nobody really knows who I am or cares about me <laughs> in that regard. Uh, but you know, and and talk and, and yeah, defending the faith, um, commenting on the scholarship that's going on. Uh, sometimes uh, putting out the uh, the very beginnings of some original ideas that I have that uh, will need to be researched and fleshed out at a later point, and I just want to you know put throw them up there, put them out there somewhere for other people to look Archive at. Archive it. Yeah, exactly. And and make sure I don't forget about it so that later I can come back to it <laughs> yeah. and uh, and take a look at those things more closely. So, Well, this particular article that we're going to be talking about, again, entitled Making God in Our Own Image to Cast Aside His Prophets, is is kind of just that. It's a commentary on the bloggernacle. Uh, particularly, mm-hmm. uh, this article is a rebuttal to one featured on the Rational Face blog by the author Lori Berkman. And her article was entitled Disgracing God to Save a Prophet. So let's talk about some of the themes of her article just to set the stage, and then hopefully we can keep it onto your article and some of the principles that you use to rebut her her article. But what was her some of her assertions in her article? Uh, well, the essence of, of her article uh, was basically that Joseph Smith, in the practice of polygamy and institu- in institutionalizing polygamy, 
uh, was misguided and wrong, and uh, that that practice was wrong and it was not commanded by God, um, and that when we defend Joseph Smith in his polygamy and defend that practice as God-inspired, we are disgracing God in in an effort to try and save his prophet. Um, that was kind of the essence of it, and, and her reasoning, uh, from what I could discern anyway, her reasoning for why polygamy could not be of God was basically because to her, it was just too uncomfortable, too uh, disconcerting to think that God would command Joseph Smith to do the kinds of things he was doing in regards to polygamy, or at least the kinds of things she interprets him as doing um, in regards to polygamy. Um, and therefore, in, in, you know, to her, God simply couldn't be behind that. That's something, it was beyond the pale for, for God to, to be involved in something like that for her. So in, in, in a, it seems kind of like an emotional position, really, that, that it's easier to accept Joseph as being wrong than that God would require something like that. Yes, yes. And that's, that's very much the sense I got while reading it is it was very emotional. It was very uh, frustration and even anger driven um, uh, behind her reasoning. Uh, that's what I sensed anyhow. Okay. Well, in, in again, this article, we talk about, uh, you know, this conclusion that Lori makes, but frankly, others have made a similar conclusion. And that, mm-hmm. that is that God would not have commanded polygamy. They, they right. can't stomach the idea. And it's compounded by the idea that, that Joseph Smith must have made a mistake then mm-hmm. that this was Joseph's own, own doing. So how do you answer that concern? How do you answer that question that's so common? Uh, well, um, first of all, I, my first reaction is, you know, I get it. I really do. You know, um, polygamy is not an easy pill to swallow. Um, when you start studying the ins and outs of it, it gets in some ways harder. I mean, it's, it's, you see a lot of, uh, a lot of at least potential for abuse and taking advantage of other people there. I think in the history of Mormon polygamy, there was some abuse and taking advantage of, of women and, other, and, and their circumstances. There were a lot of different people involved in that practice, and, and uh, none of them were perfect. Uh, and so I get it. It's something that's really, really difficult to handle. It was, it was difficult and painful for the people involved. Um, it was challenging emotionally and spiritually on so many levels. Uh, so I get the impulse to just want to just shove it aside and say, no, God had nothing to do with this. This could not be of God. It's easier to accept that for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a lot easier. But to me, we, we've got to have a little bit of a gut check, if you will, before we do something like that. Uh, are we willing to accept a God that can do things that we don't like or or does God have to be after our own image? Kind of t- to play off of the title, uh, the theme, the idea behind my, my title there. Do we have to, um, does God have to conform to our standards and our expectations of what is common decency, what is um, appropriate and moral and all of that? Or does God perhaps sometimes require hard things of us as people and, and particularly as his saints and as his followers? Those are questions I think that are important to reflect on and ask, and that's kind of how I respond uh, in my blog post there. Uh, I don't go through much of the history, though I think there is some details in the history that make it really difficult to dismiss this as something that was just Joseph Smith doing his own thing. Uh, I have in my—obviously, there's the canonized Revelation, Doctrine and Covenants 132, 
Um, but also we have, you know, the accounts of Joseph Smith seeing an angel and being commanded by the angel, uh, you know, with a drawn sword. Uh, to me, that makes it really hard to separate uh, this is something that just Joseph Smith was doing from God's own commands, if you will. Well, part of the arguments that are presented both in both articles, to be honest, uh, is this perceived allegiance to God or prophets almost to the point that they're mutually exclusive choices. Like in, in, in Laurie's article, there seems to be this, I'm being more aligned with God than his prophet and that it's got to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. How then do you look at this same kind of argument? Because in some ways you're, you're making the same point that they're creating a God to fit what they want, which mm-hmm. is giving an allegiance to a false God over the real God and so on and so forth. It seems, uh-huh. it seems almost like this is a matter of who we think we're being aligned with. Uh, yeah, well, I think it is, and... So I guess, what what makes yours more an agreeable position to you and theirs problematic? What what are some of those other elements? Okay, well, to, to me, what makes it more agreeable is I, I, I find it hard to bear allegiance to a god while disavowing his servants. If you are, uh, uh, to use a sports analogy, we all know everybody loves ah, sports, love analogies, sports right? analogies, right? If you are loyal to your coach... Uh, you don't, uh, at the same time, publicly speak out against the assistant coaches or the team captains uh, and, and create discord within the team because of that. Um, loyalty to the head coach um, uh, implies loyalty to others that he has selected and chosen to to assist him in his, in his responsibilities, team captains, assistant coaches, other staff members. Um, and when you are publicly disavowing the actions of of an assistant coach or a team captain the head coach usually isn't happy about that the head coach is going to not come down on on the person you perceive is wrong they're going to come down on you um and i don't think at the same time and in the same breath you can you can say hey i'm i'm all about being dedicated and loyal to god and at the same time disparage the actions of his servants especially i think especially when those are actions that those servants explicitly said were commanded by God. When they're trying, however imperfectly, to fulfill God's will, then we have to try however imperfectly to sustain them in that effort, I think. Um, and, and, and we can't really be aligned with God and do otherwise, in my view. Gotcha. Well, for those that engage in reading blogs and various material online, even from those professing to be members of the church, there seems to be a, almost a troubling kind of undercurrent that's brought up in your article, and that is that people seem to know better what God's will is than do his chosen prophets, mm-hmm. both past and present. So perhaps you can elaborate on where you're seeing that or how that plays into this. Um, well, it's something that I, I see a lot. I, I obviously saw it in, uh, in Lori's article. I see it a lot just in reactions to... Uh, m- most particularly issues, uh, social issues that are hot buttons today, uh, issues over same-sex marriage, issues over uh, women in the priesthood and the ordained women movement and things like that, and also, uh, you know, the previous priesthood ban uh, of, uh, of blacks in the priesthood and things like that all get tied into this conversation, and uh, the fallibility of prophets almost becomes this automatic escape hatch that's just immediately turned to as an excuse to dismiss whatever the prophets are or were past in the past saying about these issues. It, it is a very unsettling and con- concerning uh, pattern, in, in my opinion, uh, because the, the very nature of a prophet 
is to have someone that can help us understand the direction God would have us go. And, and my issue isn't that prophets are fallible or infallible. I certainly agree that they're fallible. Uh, the issue is, um, are we in a position to really know better what the Lord wants and, and the direction the Lord wants his church to go on these topics than the prophets are? And I, it, I would submit that if you think you know better than the prophets do, you don't really believe they're prophets. Uh, because the very nature of their position and their calling is to seek out the Lord's will concerning his people and to, to execute it and to teach it to us um, and to help us follow it. And so if you think that you have greater access to that, uh, I, like I said, I would submit that you don't really believe they're prophets. Interesting. Well, there's another point that I think goes along with that that's interesting to consider. And, and looking at any critique of either the church or its teachings, um, you talk about uh, a path that many take in this dismissal of, I, I guess, or maybe even eroding prophetic authority in some mm-hmm. respects. And it almost seems like, in in one hand, we are criticized sometimes of whitewashing our history. Mm-hmm. But in some respects, it almost seems like that same effort is happening by dismissing prophetic actions. Mm-hmm. We're whitewashing our history again and saying, oh, well, that, that's not our history anymore because that was one man's mistake. So right. we're just, we're just going right. to sweep that away because that's his mistake, not our church's. Is that what's happening too, or am I misreading it? You know, I, I think I do see that happening, and, and, and I, do, I, I think that's part of it. In fact, let me relate to you... Um, a conversation I had with somebody after the polygamy essay came out on LDS.org, they were very upset that the essay had uh, given place and prominence to the Joseph Smith experience with the angel and the drawn sword. Um, and, you know, they were saying, you know, why do we have to include that? Let's not include that. I don't like it. I don't like the theological implications that it has. Let's, I wish they hadn't included that. And, you know, my remark to them was, well, do you want to have a fully upfront and honest history or do you just want to whitewash it differently? Uh, because right. the fact is we have documents. We have people who knew Joseph Smith who said, hey, he told me about this experience. Um, and we have several, several accounts about it. Uh, that's part of the story. That's part of the history. That's part of how we have to tell the story. And if we exclude that, we're not being fully upfront and honest about our history. We're just whitewashing it differently. Um, and so I, I do see kind of an impulse to want to whitewash our history just to whitewash it differently, to tell the story differently, to to make different things go away rather than rather than confront them and, and confront the implications, the theological implications that they carry um, and learn to cope with and grapple with and deal with them. We have another quote that I want to kind of... Uh, look at in in that same vein. And what you're doing is, I think, taking Laurie's rationale and those, of course, that that feel similarly to its next logical step. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, quote, she would replace a God who commands polygamy under some circumstances with one that is inept in actually guiding his church or alternatively chooses, for some reason, entirely inept leaders, end quote. So, is that the conundrum, so to speak, when people open the door to eroding prophetic authority with church practices? Are they are they almost eroding God and kind of moving God to a place of ineptitude? Well, I you know I think they are, and and I don't think they're consciously doing it. I don't think uh, they're thinking about these implications. But 
um, if we're going to go down that road and we're, if we're going to, uh, if you're going to put that kind of logic out there on a blog post or something, then you're opening yourself up to other people being able to look at that and, and think critically about the implications it carries. And that's very much an implication I see, uh, to this, this kind of pattern here where we say, Hey, we can just dismiss anything a prophet said. And if it's something that, you know, something that's been upheld for and, and taught consistently for ages and ages and ages from the, from Joseph Smith up till today, the prophet today with is still saying, yeah, God inspired this practice. You have to, you know, the implication is that God, for whatever reason, cannot seem to communicate to any of his prophets since Joseph Smith, that polygamy is really not part of his program. You see what I'm saying? Um, why can't they get that message? Why are we able to get that message and they're not able to? Uh, you know, if we're so capable of figuring out God's will, why weren't we the ones chosen as the prophet? And so it comes back to the issue. Can we, it, can we really accept them as prophets if we think we know God's will better than they do? It, it, and so I do think it, it, it's the next logical step, as you said. We're, we're dealing with a place where either God is inept at communicating with his prophets or the prophets he's choosing are completely inept at receiving his message. Neither one of those is a particularly pleasant reality to, to, to have. Um, and I don't think, you know, we're not saving God by, by uh, casting aside his prophets in that way. We're, we're, we're disgracing him just in a different way than, than what Laurie would like to see. It, it's almost like saying that God was fallible, too. Exactly. Exactly. So at, what I want to do is ask you as a conclusion to the, uh, to the interview is to read the concluding paragraph of your article. Okay. And, and I think it's best if you say your own words as kind of your own conclusion to it. Okay, sure. Well, I, I concluded that I don't like polygamy any more than you do. Personal experience of my own makes it very hard for me to cope with the idea that God would command his prophet to do something that could so deeply hurt and seemingly betray his wife, Emma. I very much feel for Emma and admire the courage she showed during such a trying part of her life. I am not saying God is to blame for every action related to polygamy of Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or anyone else trying to live this difficult command from God. But faith requires that we come to terms with the things God does that we don't really like, not pawn all the blame onto his prophets who are imperfectly but sincerely trying to follow his will. Thank you. So, again, I want to encourage people to go to this article that can be found on Neil Rapley's blog. A link to it will be placed for the posting of this episode at blog.fairmormon.org. Again, his article is entitled, Making God in Our Own Image to Cast Aside His Prophets. And again, thank you, Neil, for coming in and, and sharing your thoughts with us. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.